You're listening to the My NFT Journey podcast. Each week our host Andy Storch will share his journey and newly found passion for non-fungible tokens. Welcome to My NFT Journey. I am your host Andy Storch and this is a show where I share my NFT journey so that I can help you with your NFT journey wherever you might be. And I've been sharing all kinds of lessons learned since I got into NFTs well over a year ago and started publishing this podcast in November of 2021. And we are now about nine months into this journey. And I'll be honest, I have not been paying as much attention to NFTs lately ever since the prices kind of crashed back in, what was that, around late March, early April when things started to go down and NFTs started to go down. And, you know, if you've been following me for a while, you know, I've I've had a significant amount of money invested into cryptocurrency and NFTs because I was such a big believer and you know the value of all that went down quite a bit by like 70 80%. It was it was hard to see, but I kept reminding myself that a minute for the long term, no big deal, we'll keep adding and of course I've done episodes on that process as well as just a couple of weeks ago on why and how to buy cryptocurrency and uh, how to use dollar cost averaging to kind of even out those ups and downs and you know just kind of keep your head up when you're a long-term investor. And today I wanted to share a couple lessons that struck me from two different books that I was reading recently that were not about cryptocurrency or NFTs at all, but more about money and psychology and uh, really helped me process and think about the decisions I made and what happened with the market over the time. By the way, you know, we're recording and publishing this in middle of August 2022. And we know things always change, right? That yes, prices dropped considerably in early April of this year, some four months ago. And Ethereum, which had been as high as 4800 dropped all the way down to as low as I think $976, something like that. Just a huge drop. But it's been slowly climbing back up over the last month and a half. And as I record this, it's around 1900 It's been between 1900 and $2,000 for Ethereum. And Bitcoin has climbed back up to be around $24,000 as at the time that I recorded this. So that's a nice little recovery. Still nowhere near about half of <laughs> Ethereum's about half of where it was, a little less than half of where it was at its high. Bitcoin is almost a third of where it was before it dropped. And so still got a long way to go. But if you're a long-term believer... And I say believer, you could say long-term investor, but if you're really a believer in it long-term, then you hang out, you wait, you hold, as they say, and you know it's going to go back up. Here are a couple lessons that, that struck me recently from a couple different books I read. The first book was The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Now, I highly recommend this book. I mean, I don't have to really qualify it to who I recommend it to, because if you are a human you're in the United States or another capitalistic country and you think about money at all, you know, you're investing money for the future, you're saving money, you're trying to create a better life, whether you're investing in stocks or real estate or cryptocurrency or anything else. This book was really helpful and thoughtful and just a great kind of high level overview of like what happens with money markets and how people think about money and use money. And there are some great lessons that came out of that book. I shared some of them in a social media post uh, not that long ago. And I won't go into all of them here. One of them was about understanding bubbles. And when you think about a bubble in the financial markets, some of the most famous ones of recent memory are the dot-com bubble in 2000, 2001, when you know, tech started getting really, really 
hot. You know, this was web one in the late 90s. And you had companies like Cisco that were just popping off and worth a ridiculous amount of money in the stock market. Of course, pets.com was kind of the famous mascot of the dot-com bubble, if you will, a lot of people investing in that and not really going anywhere. But that was a big bubble because, and, and these things are only bubbles in hindsight, right? They're, you never know when you're in a bubble, but it was a bubble because it seemed like everybody was putting money into it. Things got overpriced in hindsight, right? And eventually the bubble burst and prices tumbled down, right? The market kind of crashed, but it certainly pulled back quite a bit right in 2001. The next big bubble that, of course, almost all of us remember, if you're, say, in your 30s or older, you definitely remember, and probably even younger, right, is the the real estate crash and market crash of 2008, 2009, when real estate prices were going through the roof. And all these companies in Wall Street were investing in buying like groups of mortgages, you know, tranches of mortgages. And it seemed like everybody you knew was flipping a house, flipping houses, and the prices just kept going up and up and up. And it seemed like nobody could lose. And then one day everybody did, right? The, the bubble burst and a lot of people were caught holding the bag and prices in the stock market completely crashed. And, you know, a couple different lessons here right away is that, first of all, you, you never know if you're in a bubble, right? If there's a, certainly like there's indicators. If, you're in a, if there's a frenzy and things seem like they're just always going up, then you want to be wary, like there, there could be a bubble, right? But you just don't know. It could keep going up. The second thing is that things almost always recover. So if you think about those two bubble bursts, if you will, the stock market has more than recovered since then. In fact, the market is up many, 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 you know, hundreds of percent. So just for context, when the bubble burst in the dot-com crash, it finally hit the lowest in October 2002. Uh, it was 80% down from its peak in March of 2000. And the market has more than recovered since then. In fact, I'm just looking at a chart and I see that sometime late that year, the S&P 500 was around 841 and today it's at 4,600. So it's up, you know, about 5x since that time. If you look at the 08 crash, it dropped as low as 735. And it's all the way back up. You know, it only took less than a year for it to really work its way back up and recover. And there's been some like mini, you know, decreases, pullbacks along the way. But the market almost always recovers and goes back up. Now, we don't have as much history with cryptocurrency, but we know that the market has sort of crashed or pulled back heavily in years past, and then it's always recovered and continued to, to make its way going up. Again, we don't have as much history, so we don't know what's going to happen in the long term. We don't know if the market's going to quote unquote recover and advance higher than where it was before. The short amount of history we have do, does tell us that that will probably happen, but obviously we don't know. The other lesson, so the lesson is that, you know, when we're in these things, it seems horrible in the moment, but it's generally a good idea, especially with stocks, to stay invested because the market will recover and it will continue to go back up, especially with stocks and real estate. I don't know about cryptocurrency, right? It's such an early, we're in such early days, but early indicators seem to show that that will happen. The Probably the bigger question that I know a lot of people have is, what's the long-term viability and value of cryptocurrency of something like Bitcoin? And so you know, I think that's kind of yet to be proven to a wider market, but we'll see. The other lesson that came out of it, and what I read was about bubbles, and what Morgan Housel said in that book was that there's a myriad 
of reasons. There's tons of different reasons for bubbles. They can't easily be explained, right? You can't easily look back and go, oh, you know, the dot-com bubble happened because of this tech frenzy and XYZ happened and this and this and this, or the real estate bubble happened because of XYZ. And, you know, this is what you got to look out for in the future. What Morgan said in the book was, I don't think we'll ever be able to fully explain why bubbles occur. It's like asking why wars occur. There are almost always several reasons, many of them conflicting, all of them controversial. It's too complicated a subject for simple answers. But let me propose one reason they happen that both goes overlooked and applies to you personally. Investors often innocently take cues from other investors who are playing a different game than they are. And then he went on to say later on that bubbles form when the momentum of short-term returns attracts enough money that the makeup of investors shifts from mostly long-term to mostly short-term. So that's what has happened in past bubbles in the stock market. And that really hit me because I started thinking about what happened with NFTs over the last couple of years, especially leading up to the kind of the downturn in crypto prices here in April of 2022. And of course, since NFT started, there have been long and short-term investors. And there's always been a lot of short-term investors, people who are looking to flip. And, and I'd have many conversations over months with some of my close friends, including Bennett Phillips, who's been on this podcast, where we invest in a project we believe in long-term and just watch what look like flippers coming in and doing crazy, irrational things just changing the whole market and doing things we just didn't understand, we couldn't comprehend. And that's the thing is, I think it happened more in crypto and NFTs than in the stock market, where you might be playing one game. And that's what point Morgan's making that Morgan is making in this book that you and I are playing one game and lots of other people are playing other games and you don't know what their motives are. So when you buy something for a long-term investment and other people are coming in just to flip, they are impacting the market and it might cause you to change your behavior, right? And eventually it can cause a bubble because there are now more short-term flippers in the market than there are long-term investors. And that pumps up the price until everybody kind of jumps out and everything collapses, right? And again, it's it's very complicated. It's, it's not easy to simplify. But I think what happened was I was sitting there investing, 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 trying to, uh, you know, invest for the long term, but also having to deal with the prices and the hype that things were going on with a lot of the flippers. And I got caught up in that frenzy, as did maybe you and many other people. Even if you consider yourself a long-term investor, you're still inside that frenzy that is created by short-term investors, those flippers. And a lot of us got caught with our pants down because kept investing and thinking, well, this is going to keep going up long-term. And then one day the bubble burst, the party ended, everybody went home and we got caught holding the bag. And so I made a, you know, a decision, several decisions that looked good for a while, including investing a significant amount of money. We sold our house in September of 2021, invested a significant amount of money into crypto and NFTs. I don't mind telling you. And you know, all that went eventually went down quite a bit. And that leads me to the second lesson that I wanted to share that I'll share briefly. And that comes from the book Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, who is the former famous poker player. She won at least one World Series of Poker bracelet and several, several tournaments, and I think at least $6 million in winnings. I think she's the most famous female poker player of all time. And now she speaks and consults. And this is a great book I'm enjoying so far. And she hit me with a lesson right away 
in chapter one, she talked about, and spends a lot of the beginning of the book talking about how we often judge our decisions based on the results, not on the quality of the decision. So she asked you to think about the best decision you've made in the last year and the worst decision you made in the last year. And then says, I bet I can tell you that they're entirely based on the results that happened. And so I might say that one of the worst decisions or the worst decision I made in the last year was to invest so much money into Ethereum, into crypto and NFTs when it was at an all-time high. I think ETH was at a 4,000 or so when I really put a significant amount of money in thinking this is going to keep going up and it's a good way to protect against inflation, right? At the time, everything seemed to continue to go up and up and up and inflation was high. So it seemed like a great protection for inflation. Since then, the market crashed went from 4,000 down to 1,000. Now, luckily, it's back up to 2,000. And this looks like a terrible decision. I really should have been more prudent and responsible with my money and put it in a safer place because we needed it for, you know, X, Y, Z, buy another house, et cetera. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here feeling bad and about my decision, feeling guilty. And what I thought about, and you might be thinking about the decisions you've made, good and bad, is that what if the market didn't crash? What if Ethereum, the price of Ethereum kept going up and actually went up to $8,000 and it was $8,000 today and I was able to pull my money out and it had doubled from just a few months ago or about a year ago? What if that had happened? Then it would have been one of the best decisions that I ever made, right? Because we often base the quality of our decisions or judge our decisions based on the outcomes, not on the process that we went through. Now, looking back at you know where I was putting placing certain bets, I think I did probably invest too much into, you know, the crypto market, etc. But again, that is heavily kind of biased by the fact that things went down. If it went up, you know, if it had doubled or what if it had gone up more? What if ETH was $10,000 today? I might be sitting here saying, "Man, I wish I would have invested more," right? And you'd probably be saying the same thing. So, we can't predict the future. We often judge our decisions based on the results that come out. I think we have to continue to look at the market, if you want to invest in crypto and NFTs and you're in it for the long term, you got to continue to look at the market and look at your overall financial situation to decide what do you have an appetite for? What are you going to be okay with if things go down again? What are you not going to be okay with? And then just invest what you can afford to lose, as they say, right? And NFTs, I think, are still here for the long term, but we are in a bit of a NFT winter right now, a bit of a trough, right? And we don't know where things are going to go in the future. But I still see a lot of cool things going on out there. I'm still invested in a bunch of projects. And as I mentioned, I've kind of pulled my attention back a little bit as I focus on other things. But I wanted to come back and share some lessons with you. I have a few more episodes for you that I'm going to share. And then I think we are going to probably wind this podcast down for a little while while we chill and I focus on the main business. But I got a couple more good episodes coming up for you. And I want to tell you one more time those books that I mentioned, because I think they're both really great and helpful, no matter what you're doing in the world. One is The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, and the other is Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. All right. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to leave a review and go tweet it out to your friends and tag me. My handle is Andy Storch on Twitter. I'm also active on LinkedIn, and I will see you around. Thanks again for listening to My NFT Journey. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to let you know that our podcast right now is sponsored by Voice.com. Yeah, Voice is an easy place for creators to create carbon-neutral NFTs. That's right. You may have heard about NFTs from the outcry around environmental impact 
and how much energy is being burned by Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies and NFTs and tokens traded on the blockchain. Well, voice is 65,000 times more energy efficient than Bitcoin and 17,000 times more energy efficient than Ethereum. So if you're looking to create some NFTs very easily or buy some NFTs, especially low cost NFTs, very easily with US dollars and without burning lots of energy or impacting the environment, then check out voice.com. I am working on creating my own collection of NFTs on voice, and I've found so far that it's extremely easy. All you need is the right graphic, the right strategy, or what you want to create. Decide what you want to give to people when they buy the NFTs, and then go set it up. It only takes a few minutes. So go check it out, voice.com, and let me know what you think.